Welcome to the Rare Earth Podcast, a place where I bring in rare individuals to have rare conversation. My name is Manoj, your host, and now let's get the show started. Hey guys, my guest today is a dear friend and an inspiration to many who work with her. Her name is Lakshmi Karunakaran. She is a engineer by qualification, a communication specialist and an impactful educator. Before she took on her current role, she used to work with Infosys, an IT major. She currently works with a Bangalore-based social impact organization called as Hasirudala. They work primarily with waste pickers communities. Lakshmi runs the community library of the Hasirudala which is called as Bugri Community Libraries which primarily focuses on children of the waste pickers. In this episode Lakshmi shares how she switched from her promising corporate job to becoming a community social worker, how she followed her inner voice and paved her own path, her approach to teaching kids and also provide some guidance to children and parents. Lakshmi is doing incredible work in the world today and I'm super grateful she agreed to be part of the show and share her message. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Let's dive in. Uh, hey guys, uh, a quick housekeeping announcement. Uh, this recording was done right next to a park. So we have some generous contribution of vehicle noises and uh, dogs barking and some segments of the recording. Uh, so do enjoy that bit of it. Also, uh, you may hear Lakshmi speak in uh, you know Hindi as well as Kannada, uh, the local language. Uh, if you are somebody who is listening outside of India, you may bit uh, miss that bit. Uh, rest of it is like super good you will get the context of the conversation so please enjoy my conversation with lakshmi karnakaran all right lakshmi so uh, welcome to the rarod show Thank you and uh, I'm so glad to be talking to you Manoj in a completely different new avatar. <laughs> yeah, uh, for the people who are listening, uh, you know, just to give some context, uh, I and Lakshmi we studied in the same school. In fact, we were in the same class, so we are classmates. Yeah. And this is the very first time we are doing a very professional setup <laughs> kind yeah. of a call uh, or kind of a discussion, right? Yes. So, how do you feel? Actually quite nervous. <laughs> because i've always been on the other side i uh, i'm a part of a community radio channel yes yes and i have been interviewing people <laughs> and i feel that that's such an easier job to do now <laughs> <laughs> i i enjoy taking you know like photographs of people and i have always been behind the camera yeah sometimes when i'm been asked to stand in front of the camera the feeling that i get very uneasy feeling i think probably i can relate to that yeah completely <laughs> i'm not feeling very easy right now but <laughs> the fact that we've been friends uh, means that you'll kind to be kind to me no <laughs> I this this is going to be super kind and super chill <laughs> okay so i really want to start off with uh, you know our journey i think we both were uh, graduating around the same time and yeah. uh, we both chose two different paths and uh, i'm really fascinated with your journey uh, honestly yeah. uh, you you uh, you were a you know telecom uh, professional you're a, you're a graduate from you know uh, engineering college you did telecom engineering you went on to do your uh, you know a corporate job in infosys 
and then from there on you have taken a completely uh, new direction which we will get into in today's conversation but uh, so i really respect and i'm really fascinated to uh, you know uh, get to know your journey in this conversation so really really happy to have you thank you so much <laughs> i'm really glad that we'll be talking about this okay so uh, could you please uh, you know just for the benefit of the audience you know uh, would you share what do you exactly do like if somebody asks you what do you, what does lakshmi do so can you just introduce what you do uh i basically work with an organization called uh, hasiru dala so i describe myself as an uh, library educator and uh, somebody who works with arts based uh, intervention and library and literature is a part of it um so right now i'm working with a organization like i said it's called hasiru dala and uh, they specifically work with waste pickers and i run a series of community libraries for uh, children of waste pickers okay uh, and uh, i got a chance to you know uh, to as part of my research to uh, this conversation uh, you know have a look at what you do yeah and uh, honestly when we speak about waste pickers uh, it's just a you know one of those uh, chores that we have in the morning somebody comes to collect the waste and we just dump it and we're done with that there is there is nothing more uh, you know there's no more thought given to that that term waste pickers uh, so could you just uh, uh, tell everybody what goes into uh, in the life of somebody who's doing a job of waste picker or what is a waste picker or rack pickers especially in bangalore yeah so i think uh, one is that we have to develop a little bit of clarity on what are the different uh, ways in which waste picking happens so one is a formal municipality driven approach right uh, all of us has a municipality in bangalore it is bbmp which has the responsibility of managing waste solid waste management and uh, the people that you see in front of your home who come to collect uh, waste they are all in some way formalized they are a part of they could be a contractual employee but they are all a part of a larger formal system of waste collection hmm. but the people that we work with are people who are informal waste pickers so these are who were called Uh, formerly rag pickers that that term is obsolete right now but uh, they are the people who go from dump to dump and collect recyclable waste and then uh, sell it at the end of the day and make their daily wage from that so these are people who are completely independent completely driven by their own uh, you know will to live and to um, work hard and you know so you rarely see a waste picker begging uh you know they're mostly people who are just gathering uh bottles and you know whatever are the recyclables and selling it to a scrap dealer at the end of the day and living so uh we they are mostly invisible people you know these are people that you don't want to talk to you don't want mm. to engage with your local parakarmika who comes to collect your waste sanitation worker who comes to collect your waste sometimes you even have a conversation with that lady right, right? but these are people you don't want to acknowledge address at all because you think they are filthy you think that they work with filth that they put their hands in their filth so the larger aim of the organization itself was to look at them as green collared workers mm-hmm. because they are at many levels environmentalists because we as people who throw our waste very responsibility on irresponsibly on the street or because we don't have a collection system mm. they are taking out recyclables in that and diverting tons of waste almost every day from the landfill mm-hmm. so uh, it was important then to acknowledge what they actually do and give dignity to their labor and how did uh, hasiru dala uh, the organization that you work with uh, develop a focus for this specific community there there are so many other causes what caught their attention to this one 
and how did this actually develop <clears throat> so um, basically this work happened around 2011 12 in bangalore and the organization was started by ms nalini shekhar mm-hmm. and nalini had just returned from the us where she had done a, almost a decade of work with uh, domestic violence and gender abuse gender related abuse uh, but she had formally worked with waste pickers in uh, pune and uh, so she had come to retire actually but around the same time something very important was happening in the waste system in bangalore mm-hmm. because what happens in bangalore is uh, bangalore's waste goes to uh, surrounding villages where there are landfills and at that point the uh, landfills the villages had uh, broken out in protest okay. saying that bangalore can no longer dump their uh, their waste on us because of many reasons because mm-hmm. of the groundwater was getting contaminated it was also that nobody was ready to give their girls or boy i mean get marry ah. into these villages also because they were called filthy villages right okay so the reputation of those villages had crashed their lives had really uh, uh, you know suffered so they didn't want to uh, they really were in you know at the end of their uh, uh, you know they were, they really didn't want to uh, have other cities filled that they are not responsible for Uh, changing the dynamics of their space mm. you know and uh, uh, causing so much harm to their coming generations as well so bangalore at that point and it had become a big thing in the media as well because bangalore was then being called garbage city from gar- garden, garden city, city yeah. yeah and it was in a crisis because for weeks you know garbage was not being picked up and there was garbage everywhere and uh, that was the time that the municipality finally woke up to understand what can we do to you know say uh, do something with the garbage here yeah. because till then there was no no talk of segregation mm. there was mixed waste that you they all collect uh, and they all take directly to the landfill and put it there mm. so there was no sense of responsibility around your own waste mm. so um, so they started uh, th- there were multiple organizations some ngos came there was a solid waste management round table that happened that was formulated around that time which is a citizen led initiative uh which also has said that the uh, the bbmp has to take responsibility of taking the uh, making sure the solid waste management and the um, uh, garbage that the city creates is contained within the city it does okay. not have to so we have to remove uh, make sure that not as much waste is diverted to the landfill mm. so for that segregation at source was very important so in one such meeting nalini shekhar was there and she said that none of this is possible until you include waste pickers hmm. because waste pickers at that time under crisis time were the only people who were clearing waste and uh, leading putting the uh, uh, recyclables into the recycling industry like segregation happening at yeah. that level right yeah. so yeah so the question was what is it that they are doing to contribute to the largest solid waste management system yeah. so we did a study which uh, basically found that there are close to 35000 waste pickers in the city and at that point in 2012 bangalore was generating about 3000 tons of waste every day and uh, about 1500 tons of waste was going through the hands of these waste pickers and they were uh, uh, contributing saving hmm. the local municipality over 85 crore rupees per year wow so that was their economic contribution from the work that they're doing mm. so given that this was their contribution how do we acknowledge that contribution how does the city acknowledge the contribution of uh, these people who are what we call silent green collared workers mm. so that became the start of hasrudala okay and um, 
how long you been associated with hasirudala now informally i started uh, being associated with uh, hasirudala in 2015 uh, 14 or so but formally um, uh, around 2016 end yeah okay and uh, so you at the moment you specifically handle uh, one of the subsets of uh, hasirudala which is the bugri uh, community library right yeah. uh, could you just uh, share a little more about that yeah so um when hasrudala started to work with waste pickers largely the work happened with adults um because they were looking at how do we first give recognition to the work that they're doing and how can that recognition come the recognition comes with identity mm-hmm. right so a lot of these people didn't even have any kind of document to prove that they exist mm-hmm. so uh, they had nothing nothing okay they had nothing they had no aadhar card no uh, you know but even birth certificate no caste income certificate nothing mm. you know so for many people so once this we figured that this is the amount of uh, money that they are saving for the municipality it, the work started with pushing uh, uh, the municipality and we submitted a, a, a petition to the lok adalat to say that they should be given occupational identity cards so that became the first work so then bangalore became one of the first cities in the country to give away speakers occupational identity card wow. so it was quite a big thing to happen so uh, so about 10000 way speakers in bangalore itself have got way speakers identity cards right now so for many like i said that became the first form of any sign sort of written identity mm-hmm. and once they had that identity that paved the way to access many other social security that is available at the state or the central level mm-hmm. so whether it is scholarships for their children pensions for uh, uh, you know widow pensions that is there so they are ac- they can access over 40 different schemes mm-hmm. that they can uh, uh, but that window opened for many because they had one piece of paper which gave the identity and it is also important to see that bangalore did this and we should congratulate the Ma- bangalore municipality for doing it so if you look at the commissioner's uh, identity card bbmp commissioner's identity card panjanath hmm. sir who is the commissioner right now and the uh, way speaker's identity card it is the same wow so it is a huge sense of giving a huge sense of dignity right. to the work that they right. do it also helped them in many ways because they were going through major abuse on the roads they were getting abused by the police they were getting i mean the local people citizens would call them uh, you know uh, thieves they were chased by dogs so all that kind of abuse also came down uh, how how did having an identity help them in the society like uh, when you said uh, you know they get chased away by people why why would they get chased away by people because they are people who like they first of all uh, uh, the times in which they work mm. so they are uh, uh, they most ways because wake up early in the morning around 4 o'clock by 4:30 they are on the road mm. because they have to collect the waste before the municipality vehicle comes mm-hmm. right mm. because they have to get to that uh, uh, whatever dump mm-hmm. site mm-hmm. once the municipality comes they will clear everything then they have nothing for the day right. so the earlier they get to the dump the better mm. so one is that they work during those hours so there is a people think they are thieves ah oh, right you right. know and they have a sack behind their this thing so mm. they are generally thinking that these are people here to steal things from right, the, uh, right. this thing okay. and that is also the time when dogs are very active mm. police is very active so they're all being abu- i mean uh, you know 
Uh, yeah, I think it's a very difficult, uh, you know, uh, time to work for them actually, yeah. and because they have uh, no identity, and yeah. it becomes even more difficult to prove what they're up to. Yeah. Right? So once the BBMP identity card came, even if the police questioned them, they had an identity card to show, mm-hmm. and it showed the BBMP's logo. Everything was there. Okay. So immediately the harassment on the street reduced. Okay. But coming back to our question on 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 the library that you're involved in, yeah, you, you didn't answer so, that. So yeah, right? yeah. Sorry, I got sort of digressed. So uh, yeah, so the work largely started with the adults, and uh, slowly when uh, the, then they we we started working with the uh, the children because there was very high dropout rate among children of waste pickers, mm. very high possibility of children following back into the same profession, and a large part of our work also started to look at how can we break these cycles, you know, because this is also caste based work. Mm-hmm. Many of these people have been traditionally here. you know generation after generation doing the same work it's not not that we feel that this work is wrong or bad it's just that if the child grows up should have a choice mm. if they are getting into waste picking also they should be getting into a slightly more formalized environment than be in you know in in such a um, unorganized unorganized vulnerable space that right. their parents were in mm-hmm. so uh, so and we we have enough training to go through that mm. now you know there are trainings in waste management and you know uh, 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 different uh, trainings in terms of plastic recycling and all of that mm. so that could be a professional way in which they can go back right uh, but to give every child like every child has the the right to choice mm. of what they want to become mm. so um so that started becoming more and more clear to us because the parents also wanted that that they still didn't go to school they study they don't get get into the same profession but they didn't have the resources to do that mm. so by the time i joined i think they already had some programs running for children uh, which was scholarship was one of the programs uh, uh hostels lot of children who were in extremely vulnerable uh, situations children who were rescued from landfills mm. children who were living on the streets they not home have home they were all uh, rescuing these children and putting them into hostels where they had more stable facility mm. to live and go to a school um they had uh, a program which was around workshops uh, workshops during summer where children were called and they went through a series of workshop and then they took an oath with the staff at hasrudala that they will all stay in school mm. so it was a joint commun- community level re- uh, responsibility that i'll watch out for my friend if he drops out right she will watch out on me so there if was some, some kind of accountability some kind of accountability right. and the fact that if i see that my friend is dropping out or is becoming irregular to school that i'll let somebody from hasrudala know right so that we can track and understand what is the what is the issue on the ground and see if we can resolve it so that kind of work was happening <clears throat> but i felt having gone and seen some of these areas when i was called in to work with hasrudala that uh, a more long term intervention was required mm. and which was uh, not only long term in the same uh, sense of on a, on an everyday basis intervention you mm. know a, a, an engagement that was on an everyday basis and was that came because we needed we i started to see that the children were very street smart because they're growing up on the street right you know and they had immense amount of skills but it it didn't have a certain direction mm. and many kids uh, had uh, dropped out of uh, schools very early so they didn't mean that to because the child has been a school dropout for 4 years i can today put the child in school and suddenly he start studying and suddenly miraculously everything will be set right so 
these are the kind of children that we were involved with so it required that we needed to create more informal flexible environments that the child could be slowly brought into help mm. the child to to uh, understand appreciate the skills that they already have mm. you know and then build a sense of also possibility of inter- individual attention that you can give right. yeah so from there came the idea of libraries I I have uh, seen couple of uh, you know uh, videos of how you actually conduct the, uh, the the sessions in the library and how you engage the kids and I I also heard some of your um, you know bogri podcast where there is there is a style of storytelling yeah. and there is a narration uh, how important is it uh, to engage kids with stories uh, and yeah. uh, why do you feel that is a very strong form of communication uh, why do you use that as a medium Um I think stories can change your life. <laughs> I really believe that. And uh, I don't know uh, stories I think uh, seed ideas thoughts in you that may not change you immediately but sometimes they stay there and you know sprout sometime later. So I really believe in the power of stories. And um so storytelling is a big part of and stories is a big part of what the work that we do. and uh, everybody was a little uh, surprised when i said we want to start libraries mm. because how do you start a library where about 70% of your children cannot read exactly so that yeah. was the first challenge right so my idea was not about libraries being a space where children can only come and read a library is a place where stories come alive mm. you know for me and that was more important so to have variety of books with stories with variety of stories what we call you know uh, uh, windows and uh, uh, mirrors basically mm. we call them windows and mirrors so there are books which mirror them their own lives and there are books which are windows which allows them to see a very different kind of life right so to expose them to various kinds of stories was very important so the first year of first two years of our work we didn't bother about whether a child reads or not our only aim was to expose them to as many stories as possible to trigger their you know minds you know imagination imagination and to see how they respond to different kinds of stories and so storytelling and reading aloud to children became like the spine of the work that we do mm. and every time we and the children just caught on it was magical we really call it magic because after about 6 8 months we realized the children who never read started to read wow so it, it was not that we actually sat down and you know we taught them phonetics and that nothing happened we right. just read aloud and the fact that the children had uh suddenly found this love for stories mm-hmm. that they wanted to listen to more stories mm-hmm. engage with more stories you know and we always have stories and we link them to activities so that mm-hmm. they can uh, further understand or deepen their understanding with whatever they've learned from the story so it's always the the experience of a story is a is something that they are engaging and having fun with mm. it's a positive experience for them so that draws them back again and again so would you would you call that uh, this experiment of sorts uh, has worked out well and it is uh, it's it seems to be working good see we have had our uh, i mean largely largely um we've also had experiences where this has not worked mm-hmm. and i must confess that mm-hmm. and uh, what we've also discovered is that you know when we uh, in ngo sector it's scale is something that we talk about on an everyday basis you know if you're doing this here can you do this 100 times right, right? so uh, and uh, 
वीव ऑलवेज फेल्ड ओके यहाँ इस लाइब्रेरी में इफ इट इज़ वर्किंग इट शुड वर्क इन एवरी अदर लाइब्रेरी इट इज़ नॉट ऑलवेज लाइक दैट सो वैन यू डील विद सर्टन कम्युनिटीज वीव हैड टू क्लोज डाउन वन ऑफ आर लाइब्रेरीज फॉर एग्जाम्पल बिकॉज इट वॉज वी केम इन वी वेंट इन टू क्विकली विदाउट अंडरस्टैंडिंग द कॉन्टेक्सट ऑफ द कम्युनिटी वॉट द चिल्ड्रेन विल रिस्पॉन्ड टू टू क्रिएट अ प्रोग्राम दैट इवन इफ इट इज़ अ कम्युनिटी और एन आर्ट सेंटर it needs to understand where the children are coming from and to go with the children mm-hmm. so uh, otherwise there is a lot of protest you know children protest and uh, um, yeah so largely this has worked out in most i mean our our banshankri program is very successful our mysore program is even more successful so i mean i was recently at our mysore library uh, uh, mid this last this week and i was they are going to complete 3 years so i was asking some of the older kids what has the library done to you and mm. it was fantastic mm. what each of them shared and how life transforming it was mm. like one of the child said that um, i don't even think i would have been in school or i wouldn't i would be in this mental health state mm. if not for the library because after the library started he lost both his parents he uh, his his siblings were forcing him to drop out from school and work Mm. so we've supported him through all of that so he just says that when my family was not able to stand up for me i had a family in the library which stood up for me wow okay you know? so it it means a lot it has changed for for him of course the dynamics has completely changed for another girl she said that i'm a completely different person at school mm-hmm. and we never thought about all these ripple effects that it has you know right. we see the child in the in the setting of the library and we we see the change that the child is going through but what happens beyond the library we don't know so much right. so it was interesting to hear what they had how this has affected them in different other spaces like this child was saying that i was extremely shy in school never talk but after the library started and after i started doing theater and art and all of this i'm the most dynamic person in school <laughs> and i'm called by teachers to you know do to do natka and do everything <laughs> i am called so i'm a bit of a hero in now in that's school that's amazing you know? that's amazing yeah. and and this is again you're talking about all the waste pickers kids yes. right specifically in in, yeah. in be it mysore be it tumkur or bangalore yeah. yeah wow that's that's amazing transformation I want to dive in uh, a little bit about uh, you know how you started this journey. So, uh, so you are uh, you know you started off working with Infosys. Uh, you were a communication specialist. You were doing fairly well in in that line of work. Yeah. And uh, you had a lot of promising prospects. Uh, if we go by the definition of the society's definition of you know what a conventional career could you know yeah. uh, offer you. So, what triggered your shift in this this direction to really uh, you know pursue it as a serious option what was the trigger point you also spent some time in kgf right yeah uh, so could you tell us a little bit about how it started off for you so um about a decade ago um uh, i mean a little more than that i <laughs> i started off as a telecom engineer like you say and that was a point in bangalore where they would had this famous saying if you throw a stone in bangalore it will either hit a dog <laughs> or a computer <laughs> software engineer absolutely so i was the crop from mm. that era uh so uh, i turned out to be engineer much against my own will and wish <laughs> uh, my parents dr- drive your careers and they want certain choices and very reluctantly i did it Uh, soon after i joined infosys somehow and i don't know how i cracked that exam even now i somehow cracked it and i joined infosys 
and within a year i realized i was useless at the work that i was supposed to do and i was doing everything else other than the work i was supposed to do so i my desk was always khali because i was volunteering for some photography club i was volunteering for the csr i was volunteering at the design uh, you know uh, department that they have i, I spent most of my time volunteering <laughs> so i was an absolute waste in my uh, uh, project corporate world yeah. yeah and but they still needed headcount so they had to hold on to me so <laughs> they had no choice so yeah so that was the time and i realized that i really won't stick around this but uh, fortunately i also started to do a lot of volunteering and spending a lot of time doing that so i grew my circles within infosys and uh, <clears throat> i was volunteering a lot with their design team actually and uh, doing voice overs for them and all of that it's how that started and they were at that point looking for some communication person because they were starting a a tv channel mm. internal tv channel and uh, they wanted somebody who would take join that team and i was anyways vela and i had some experience with them and they found me sort of promising i guess and i got onto that team and so that was the first twist in my career mm. uh so i think i'd already like prepared my <laughs> family that i would not like really have a conventional role in that way even getting into communications was something not like my like my parents were like why are you doing this you know why don't you are, i mean you're not even studied communication why do you want to do it but i had like the first two years i had a lot of fun yeah i i really had a lot of fun because mm. i was really like uh, learning a lot on the ground it was a very small team and very ambitious project at that time and uh, so every day there was a lot to learn make videos you know do all this audio recording meet people and i was that kind of a person i always liked being around people and enabling things to happen mm. so i gelled well with that <clears throat> and i decided largely to continue working in communications because that was what i really liked doing writing and communicating and you know coordinating and all of that but i think after infosys also i worked with other companies and uh, i think within 8 8 years or so some kind of fatigue set it, set yeah. in and uh, with internal communications i also started to realize that it is a dicey situation that you're in you know you're put between the management and the employees mm. and somewhere you have to figure out a certain balance yeah. <laughs> which side you want to be yeah and representing I, yeah i saw myself tilting largely towards the employees mm. and that didn't make a lot of their management people happy <laughs> about me and i was always very vocal and that doesn't also help <laughs> <laughs> i am rarely the most diplomatic person so i realized that this skill recalls requires a lot of diplomacy you know generally so um yeah around that i don't know where it came from i think the bug to work with children caught on to me mm. and it largely came from i think the my work at infosys because at infosys uh, uh, i was very involved with the csr and particularly one project where they worked with government schools mm. so i went mad with that because i wanted to see i didn't know how to work with children i never worked with children but i was very curious to see how uh, government schools uh, because they're how, how government schools work you know and they're quite a world in themselves you know especially if you go to remote government schools mm. what they do uh, what does a school do to a child you know and it became very fascinating for me and somewhere that bug caught on mm. so i continued to work with volunteer with government schools in some form or the other and uh, 
when i decided that i no longer want to be in the corporate world and I mean this bug that i have to work with uh, children and schools or some kind of i mean i wasn't very sure at that time kept ringing in my head mm. and uh, i took about uh, some time off in uh, when i was in delhi uh, that, then i was working with another corporate in delhi and i quit at a certain point because of as i said diplomatic issues <laughs> 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 right <laughs> so i i just said okay uh, i want to i don't i want to take a break also i had personal issues so i just wanted to like have some time to clear my head and understand the direction of my there was a recalibration that was required for me i felt so i took a few few months off i went back to studying and uh, what did you study I did my uh, diploma in uh, uh, postgraduate diploma in communications okay. because I didn't have uh, a communications background at all. I okay. learned everything I learned on the ground. Mm. So yeah, then uh, uh, I started doing that and um, uh, somewhere I said okay this bug to work with children was very very strong. So I I figured a, a friend who ran an NGO and an after school with children uh, for from the Nizamuddin slum. Mm-hmm. and i said i should volunteer if i really want to work with children i should go and volunteer you know so i went and i started to volunteer i had a bunch of 8 or 10 kids in my class and i think within one and a half uh, weeks i ran from there <laughs> why i was i don't know it just triggered so many things in me and it the the it hit me how difficult it is to work with mm. children you know especially children who come from difficult circumstances and uh, because for me i was already going through an emotional upheaval and uh, having to deal with so much information that was coming from children sometimes very subtly uh, was uh, like overwhelming what? like what oh uh, like there was a child in my class uh, who was this boy who was always running around and this this child i didn't know every day how to deal with with him you know mm. so i every day used a different strategy first day ignore <laughs> don't even look at him second date force you know <laughs> forcefully make him sit in a place so every day was a new strategy right so and i realized that this child is unmanageable because he is in a completely different zone the other children also had issues and i was trying to uh, uh, but that there, there was at least a space for negotiation mm. and i could clearly see that this child has is coming from some deeper issue mm. which i have i'm so ignorant i can't address right and finally i pinned the child down at one day one day i literally pinned him onto my lap and i asked him what what is happening i like really shook him out because by then i was so you know Filled frustrated with, yeah, yeah, yeah. frustrated you know and then this child started to blabber mm. about everything that he's seeing in his mm. house including domestic violence the fact that um there's sexual abuse and this is like a 6 year old you mm. know and i i I didn't know how to because I've had experiences uh, for myself and of others who have gone through sexual abuse and uh, all that just triggered so many things looking at this child was almost looking at myself at that age right you know and um, and I understood that children really are holding up a mirror mm. for you many times and i just ran from there i i feel so regretful that i didn't even say really wasn't able to communicate to my friend who gave me the opportunity at that time because it was so triggering for me mm-hmm. so i took a long time because now i was really like ye itne passion se karna hai this is what i want to do i have been self telling myself right. but i'm a complete fool mm-hmm. you know i'm a complete uh, i have i'm not as brave as i thought to be mm-hmm. you know 
and then i gave it a lot more thought and at one point i was like oh god if it scares me so much i should do it <laughs> <laughs> how, how how long was that that window of time for you I to come to i don't remember so much but uh, it took a while uh, some time okay. i think um it allowed because I, the thing is that kida did not leave me it just kept saying ki you should go back and work with children and work with children and work with children and i didn't know what it was it was just like always ringing in my head so and i couldn't make much meaning out of why it was coming but i knew that it was coming from some instinct inside and there was some some kind of voice i guess which was saying this is the direction it should take so yeah i then uh, i moved to kolar yeah and why did you choose kolar specifically is there is there any reason you chose kolar uh i had a friend when i was in forces uh who with whom is largely a lot of talk about working with children had already started you know all this volunteering so whenever i would volunteer and come back i would talk to this friend and uh, she had quit also infosys and uh, moved to kolar which is her hometown and very in small way started to work <clears throat> with uh, certain um, uh, government schools there mm. uh which is challenging and to see how i as a person react to these spaces uh to also to start working actually practically start like jumping into the waters mm, and mm. start swimming as jaise bhi aata hai you know and uh, yeah so that i moved to kolar found a small house next to a village and uh, worked with four government schools for a year completely voluntary how old were you then about 30 years old okay okay and uh, what was your your parents reaction to this this adventure of yours when oh you oh god don't ask <laughs> uh multiple things were falling apart at that point for me i mean personally also i was going through a separation and a divorce um so my parents were already really uh, bothered about that uh, uh i had left a cor- well playing corporate job that was also another shock now obscurely she wants to move to you know a, a random place and start volunteering with schools i mean it was unimaginable for my parents uh so it was not easy hmm. with parents it took a lot of time for to build understanding with them you you didn't uh did you did you get a chance to discuss this with them or it was a decision you made and uh, they they had to accept that as uh, yeah it was a decision i made and they had to accept it i i because i was also quite uh, unfortunately things had moved in such a way that i was a little done with mm-hmm. listening to others mm-hmm. i wanted a space of listening to what my voice was saying and giving myself it might fail miserably but giving my myself that one year where i just want to experiment and see where i want to go right um so of course i mean uh, thankfully i didn't have big loans uh i was not the kind who would take big loans and thankfully i didn't have to take big loans there were small ones that i paid off but i didn't have like for example a big housing loan or house loan or whatever sitting mm. on my head so that was possible mm. at that time and i it's a little more tough if you have obligations yeah and uh, so looking back do you, do you feel those decisions that you made then has actually panned out well over the years you, of you, course okay of okay. course i think that's one of the thing i'm one most proud of actually uh of finding the courage to do that like if somebody told me now to do something like that i wouldn't do it i mean i can't imagine that i did it at that time uh thankfully i had some friends some support system at that time which were uh helping me uh 
listen to this voice mm. and give my ear to this voice and value this voice mm. um and not the rest of the janta which was saying you're crazy yeah i i think uh, as a girl especially uh, you know when you are trying to be independent to make your own decision you're no more into pleasing people and you are actually listening to your own you know gut feeling what you want to do it's it's a very very tough journey actually yeah. and you you have taken that up on you to do it and uh, against the will of your loved ones against the will of what the society thinks it's quite a bold thing that's one number one number two do you think do, do you do, would you recommend that as an approach to young girls out there who really want to explore this line of work or you think there is a better way to approach that first i'll speak of myself right okay so um <clears throat> you were rightly said this i think uh, me especially i can't say this most girls but i frankly felt that i left lived a double life most of my life most of us are guilty for that i don't think it's it's only you yeah. all of us are having a facade of some kind yes. you know we we are holding an image of who we are yeah. and who we really are yeah right and so and having to project a certain kind of image right. you know so at home i come from there are issues in my family there are it's slightly dysfunctional so i've always been the peacemaker you know in the family somebody who brings the family together somebody who's responsible to hold peace in the family so i took on that uh, role very early in my life and uh, so which which means that i gave very little importance to what i was going through what mm. to have a space to voice where what i was feeling mm. i found very little space for that or even when i voiced it i didn't see any acknowledgement for it everybody had each my parents my siblings all they them had sort of an agenda for me mm. which was very top down which was not understanding where i am coming from so uh, i think the first time it was that time when i was going through this journey that i was even being able to give value and listen to what i was mm. what i was feeling mm. you know and uh, make uh, you know um, give give some importance to it and start going in that direction mm. till then one would work really hard to shut it off mm. Mm. you know because you wanted you know some kind of uh, peace in the family you don't want to disrupt the family you don't want to disrupt things because you will then be seen as a disruptor right. not like a peacemaker and i had to live up to the image of being the peacemaker and somebody who who managed things so that was the first time i knew that whatever decision i'm going to take if i listen to this voice there will be a lot of disruption mm -hmm. and it does take a lot more lot of courage to be in that disruptive phase i mean go it go through that disruption and still hold on okay and i think i'm happy in certain ways because my parents also at some point got it mm -hmm. and i'm thankful and grateful to them that after a certain point they saw what i was going through it took a took little time mm -hmm. of course and understandable that it took a little time but uh, finally the fact that they they are able to see what direction i wanted to take why i wanted to take it uh, and uh, to support me later i think that that came in you know, uh, slowly but uh, it did i want to go back to that that feeling when you when you started making your own decisions yeah. regardless of what the society thought or the or the people's perception of you Uh, is it a very liberating feeling or is it is it feels uh, a very anxiousness a very high level of anxiousness how do you really feel then it's very mixed it's a yeah. bit of all of it actually right. it's a uh, to find your own voice and as that voice becomes clearer 
it is beautiful mm-hmm. to feel that that you have a inner voice and it is giving you clarity that voice you know and uh, and 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 that's very original it's mm. not anybody else's it's coming yeah. from within you mm-hmm. it is not because papa ye keh rahe hain ya mummy ne ye kaha ya fir mere friend ne wo bataya it's something of course it is informed by a lot of other things that you're reading or mm. all of that but it is coming from you which is a voice which is very intuitive which is very original from your own gut mm. and uh, i found the i think that was the biggest discovery of finding that voice and finding ways to nurture that voice mm. and value that voice yeah i i i really get fascinated with something like this 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 is something about you which really uh, i have so so much respect uh, for the fact that you were willing to listen to that voice yeah uh, and uh, most of us we still are stuck with this idea of what we are want to project to the world because that is how we've been conditioned yeah. and we've been told to act and behave in a certain way Uh, so when you're really uh, walking with your authentic self i think that that really uh, raises the bar for a lot of people who look at you and say you know what there is a way to live like this also and you can you can be just completely at peace with who you are right i must say um this is very personal but something hit me at that time which is what was that i had um certain issues with my family and family members and uh, in fact when i was going through that churning i went to each one of them wanting certain closure certain mm. addressal certain acknowledgement of something that i had gone through for over two decades with them and i found n- i didn't find a closure with them you mm. know unfortunately mm. uh, it was sometimes you know you there is victim blaming that you are i mean further uh, I, further told that it was your mistake right so when that happened i it just really hit me you know because it i felt like the rest of the all my life i was even if i say this is my family i was i was doing all this for a family which is now going to turn against me even though i have made myself so vulnerable mm. and presented my issues with them and mm. said that i am broken because of all that that has happened within this family and uh, i got no closure so then i was like what am i doing i have to listen to myself right now i'm in a place where i don't hold any grudge against my family we were all arrived slowly but surely at a good place but at that point is exactly how i felt mm. i felt like i have been always giving to a family which does not want to acknowledge my pain mm-hmm. yeah i think uh, uh, you you went through your journey there and uh, coming to a place where you have let go of any resentment or any anger towards that i think that's that's a beautiful thing uh, and i i should acknowledge them them also because right. they've arrived at that place with me they've mm. also have to change a lot to be able to finally be open to things which are not so conventional for them and uh, now i see my parents very proudly talking about me <laughs> and the kind of work that i do you know so it has taken a while right So uh so coming back to uh, your your advice to young girls uh if if they were to listen because there especially in our country there is this huge untold way uh you know parents communicate to the girls you are expected to behave you are yeah. expected to you know uh, operate in a certain way which is all communicated in a very very subconscious way it's not even sometimes very deliberate it it is the way they are made felt so uh can they still make their own decisions can they still listen to their gut feeling 
uh is it okay to go against their loved ones uh what are your thoughts on that and See, i don't think there is there is a black and white approach to this yeah. because and there is no one advice that fits all right okay so it's very contextual but i would have only one one advice to most not only girls but men boys even if it is a small child if the child is violated in sort in any ways it's human to know that they are they being violated mm. and it is a feeling that comes to all of us we normalize it because of whatever such structure whether it is patriarchy whether it is anything else you know that it gets normalized but every time you are violated you have a voice in your in your gut which says kuch galat hua right something wrong happened here right uh we then try to you know uh assuage that voice and say nee 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 koi aise hota hai aise hi hai life aise hi hai we try to dampen that voice off hmm. but to keep that voice alive every time something happens because that is where each of our original individual voices build through our experience the more we neglect that voice i'm sorry i'm going back to saying that about talking about the same voice and that is what i lost hmm. and i can hmm. see that i lost i took so much time to nurture it back hmm. is to keep that voice alive and then that voice will guide you what mm. you have to do and that voice will hopefully help you to be kind to yourself and to others mm. but to keep that alive so now i want to shift gears and <laughs> uh, take you to another part of uh, your journey i want to understand uh, you're the producer of the radio active radio active 90.4 megahertz yeah. right and it's it's a community radio uh, that uh, you run uh, So uh could you tell us a little about what was the concept behind this community radio uh, was it your brainchild or was it already existing and you wanted to take it forward No 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 it was not my brainchild at all I joined the team and uh, for a brief time community uh, radioactive 90.4 is Bangalore's first community radio channel mm-hmm. and uh, it is run by Jane University and uh, it's a beautiful space I mean in many ways I think radioactive also was has contributed a lot in terms of the people and the kind and diversity of people i got exposed to mm-hmm. when i came back to bangalore so it was beautiful because when i came back to bangalore i was starting a new life in an old city <laughs> you know so uh, i had because of everything that life had brought me i had I mean, my friends had fallen apart i didn't know how so i had to almost restart my entire life and radioactive came to my life at that time and it's one of the most beautiful spaces to be in because of the diversity of people that it brings and i had never experienced such a diverse workplace because it has uh, uh, you know shows that are run by auto drivers shows that are run by uh, garment factory workers shows that are run by the lgbtq community shows that are run by you know uh, all kinds of people you know uh, the survivors of uh, uh, you know acid attacks and all of that mm. uh, shows shows that are run by people who are living with hiv so it is like the most diverse workplace that i have seen and it was so beautiful to find that workplace mm. and i must confess that it took me a lot of time to settle in in a place like that mm. also because having come with a corporate baggage that's the only way you know to work in a very formalized corporate way right but this was a space that brought all of that together there was a formality to everything but the people were all very informal they mm. were coming from informal sectors mm. waste pickers run their own show yeah so i had i had a ball of a time working there so it's about 12 years old now okay and uh, uh and it was started 
initially as a campus radio but in, then changed to be a community radio and it works with all like i said all different kinds of communities where they run their own show there's a sense of ownership that's incredible to- that's really incredible oh uh, there was a campaign that was run right yeah. uh, could you tell us a little about that what was that about so um after the first one or two years of working in the library uh we decided that uh, read alouds which is basically nothing but holding a book and reading aloud to a child of course there is a method to it there's a, it's a pedagogical me- uh, uh, method to it uh was one of the most powerful way for children to get interested in stories mm-hmm. and also for them the more you read aloud to a child the better the child's possibility to read independently as well so we thought that we really have to take this methodology into more spaces and what was happening was that we were only working with with children of waste pickers largely of course in the community the library is open to all children in a community in out of 50 homes maybe 20 homes or 30 homes is waste picker children who are children of waste because the others are not but the library is open to everybody mm. uh in fact as the library is open to the entire neighborhood anybody can come uh so it's an open space okay so uh, but we really realized that outside the library also we need to create spaces which are more inclusive where children can meet other children from uh, different other communities so it became um, i all these ideas t- sort of merged to form the radio read aloud campaign that happens so world read aloud day happens in february every year there is a world read aloud day, day? Yeah. wow okay yeah It's the day that we all celebrate the joy of reading aloud. Wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't know that, okay. So, uh we chose February as the month to uh read aloud to as many children as possible. So, la- this year in fact we read out to, to about 3500 children in a month. Wow. So, we have volunteers, we have partner organizations, all of them who come and we read aloud to children in homes, in community spaces, in public spaces, in schools. So, huge This year we had run it in five, six different locations. And are, are these in English or are we talking about regional languages? And yeah, all of them. So okay. there are some which are in English, some which are in uh, different other languages. It's also our our way of reaching out to um, other communities as well. Mm. So we've run uh, read aloud sessions in blind schools. We have run read aloud sessions with uh, with other partners where other children come from different other uh, uh, you know communities. Uh, in your kind of work. there is a overlap of your personal life and your work life yeah uh, because uh, it's not like you can leave the emotions or the or, or the experiences that you've had in a classroom or in a library or the underprivileged uh, or, uh, or or the you know waste pickers that you witness what they experience those thoughts and those uh, emotions spill over to your personal life too does that happen yes of course okay and how yes. how, how how do you deal with so much of emotion go- going on a daily basis you find ways to uh cope over the because see the thing is also that i need to always find spaces and that becomes important sometimes i'm i am going through these periods where i don't find it hmm. is to find nourishing spaces within the space that you work so very people lots of people when they say uh when i when they hear that i work with children of aspic ayyo so <laughs> sad those children are so sad oh it must be very tough for you that kind of it's very common i if i tell that i have fun doing what i'm doing mm. it's almost unbelievable <laughs> you know so uh, i have a ball of a time working with children i mean that is that is what nourishes me the most uh 
Mm. Of course, these are children who are going through very difficult circumstances sometimes. But children are children, mm. you know. And uh, they and for me, I have a great time having a bunch of children, and we all sitting together and reading a book and doing activities and working with our hands and singing a song, and you know, all of that. gives me a charges me it's like a charger you know <laughs> so yes i mean of course there are downsides to it 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 does get emotional i have lost children to death i have lost children to all kinds of spaces i've gone through all all of all of that you know i've had children who have run away i've mm. had children who've been badly hurt um, yeah all of that has happened but one 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 learns to cope and uh, and learn something from it that 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 does not happen in the future mm-hmm. you know we try yeah uh, th- there was a very interesting story uh, you had mentioned about um, you know kids doing something for the floods uh, could you share that story oh yeah <laughs> so uh, this is the mysore library mm. and uh, in mysore we have a, a community of hair pickers okay they are a very specialized uh, uh, sector within i mean uh, 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 section within the Uh, way speaking community where they pick only hair hair yes oh okay so they re- help recycle hair okay so okay. Uh, typically what happens with a hair like uh, i lost all my hair but i want to <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't help them <laughs> <laughs> i can't make any contribution there but i'm i'm wondering uh, like uh, typically hair is collected in the saloons or in the homes like the where is yeah. the hair getting collected i can't understand this so this is very fascinating what they've been doing uh, and it is like traditional livelihood for them um so if you lo- go to smaller cities in bangalore it no longer happens but if you go to some smaller cities mysore tumkur all those areas hair pickers are a big part of like they are come in there are a lot of these uh, people who come and uh, come in these gaadis tricycles and mm. pick newspapers and yeah. that this and all of that no right. hair pickers are like that in that kind of a community so they wow. walk through communities and talk go door by door and inform women in the households that they collect hair and these and women donate either donate it or like exchange it for money or ki- some kind of utensils really? so it's a barter system like so households they keep the hair ready to give it away when these guys come to collect yes yes wow. so you can donate uh, so they, they still exist yes oh wow okay so it, our library is in a community of hair pickers and oh. uh, um so yeah this is a small room i mean i don't know 10 by 10 room uh, two rooms of that kind that size you know mm. it's a 10 by 20 kind of a space very small space but it has i mean it's one of the most uh, precious thing that we have actually because uh, uh, there are about 80 to 100 kids and almost all of them come to the library mm. and uh, uh, this happened in the library uh, we address a lot of things it's only not about just coming and uh, you know reading books mm. and reading books itself is it's a space to discuss what you have read what is triggering you what is worrying you um, so this was the time of the 2018 floods uh, so floods in kerala and kodagu and all of that so that was happening in the news all the time so the children came with that kind of anxiety because kurg is not too far from uh, you know mysore all right they they said that they want to talk about it so the library educator and all of them sat discussed what is happening why it happens spoke about climate change in fact after that there was a series of workshops on climate change and what is happening to the climate and uh, how waste pickers for, you know are an important part of mitigating uh, uh, climate change 
so it's also it is important because they were trying uh, feeling proud about what their parents are doing hmm. until then they are also looking at their parents as doing something wrong you right. know something not so good so uh, anyway so that that uh, evening there was a discussion and the library educators left and the children went back home and then there was some um, i think uh, some tv program i mean news in which uh, they saw the rescue of a pregnant woman hmm. and how the pregnant woman was rescued and they were all very moved by it so they all gathered they have a small committee they all gathered and uh, they decided to raise money hmm. so remember this is basically <laughs> so they went home by home till about 9 10 in the night and collected 5000 rupees this is without any instructions no instructions amazing no instructions so they collected 5000 rupees and uh, they decided that uh, they also heard in, on the news channel that there is a local cable tv office where they were uh, collecting relief material so um, they said okay uh, uh, this they noted down everything that they need blankets you know water biscuit biscuits that this and all that and they made a plan and they went and spoke to some of the parents saying tomorrow can if you can be off work you take us and we want to buy all of these things wow and we had no idea of any of this happening so by the next evening when the library educator reached the library to open the library the ch- children were standing in front of the library with all the relief material <laughs> and they were like chalo aaj library nahi hai you take us to this uh, place where we have to donate amazing yaar amazing yeah. so it was about the library is a space that triggers a lot of things it's not only about reading there's another incident uh, that happened here in bangalore if i can narrate that um we run a creative arts therapy program mm. in here in this uh, which is to look at specifically adolescent boys and girls who are uh, uh, you know uh, who are going through a certain stage in their life and hormones are kicking in and that was leading to a lot of violence in the community and especially teenage violence mm. so we were looking at addressing that and we said that arts would be the great way of doing it so we have a trained therapist who comes and works with these about 35 40 kids On, on creative arts therapy so in the middle of that actually uh, uh, so two things happened one they started to work with the girls separately and the boys separately and the girls uh, 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 wanted to talk about menstruation hmm. you know and they had a lot of uh, you know confusions about the kind of um, rituals that were happening during mm. menstruation because there there is some tradition that they put them in a small hut outside the house they isolated for some time and then they get gifts and all of that this was a little confusing experience for many of them mm. the fact that they get get gifts is very nice but the fact that they are isolated and people treat them differently was not so nice mm. so they had to make sense of it so a lot of time was spent in terms of doing theater and you know movement and all of that to decipher this for themselves mm. without the therapist having to you know moralize this or say okay this is not right or this is not wrong it was a space for them to make sense mm. so they went through that the motions of all of that understanding gender sexuality what happens to them and their bodies changing bodies and uh, they started to document that process in a way to understand so they made collages and paintings and all of that and at the end, end of the process it became a book mm. and uh, uh, it was called airina it okay. was a book produced by the children of uh, the, these girls and the boys the first batch of boys started with doing very macho stuff so it was start, we started with the question of what does it mean to be a boy mm. 
so they very macho you know uh, they wanted to do tamte they were very good at tamte and uh, what is tamte drums ah okay you okay. know the folk <laughs> folk dum drums okay so uh, they were very good they could give, you give them anything they would do tamte you know so they were very good at it they wanted to do tamte they would they wanted to do bidiganatka which is you know street plays in their own community so they were like outgoing you know we want to do that we want to do this music and that this and all that so initially <laughs> Uh, they were all bringing music which had all underlying you know meanings of patriarchy <laughs> of misogyny of everything you know and uh, so they were all dissed <laughs> if it is offensive some type of dissed so but at the same time what happened there was a murder in the community so somebody in the public space right in the in the front of the this thing a uh, community was murdered in broad day- daylight somebody who was high on substance you know stabbed this guy to death because he refused to give him money to drink or smoke and it was witnessed by these kids yeah it was witnessed by these kids oh. for for some time that space became really isolated the kids were not being let out and this was the older kids these boys especially stopped coming mm. and a new set of boys came and interestingly they wanted to cook okay <laughs> and uh, this was very interesting for me if, uh, because uh, they said that they never get an opportunity to cook in the house because their sisters or grandmothers or ah. aunts or uncle uh, uh, mothers are supposed to cook right. so they don't get an opportunity to cook and they were interested in cooking they were interested in cooking these were the not so macho kinds right. they don't want to go and do the bidi natka or do the tamte they want to cook and we were so excited by it <laughs> because we had we wanted a library where people children were cooking right. you know so uh, so then they came together and every day they had a project every class was a project they'll decide what they want to cook they'll have a budget for it they have to go to the market they made into groups they have to go into the market buy those stuff mm. come back and cook it and then document how they cooked it mm. so they made a variety of recipes uh, everyday stuff you know right. uh, chapati tomato goju <laughs> chitranna you know and bhelpuri and all these things that they see and they like but they wanted a space to experiment right. and it was great space because one of the things that we wanted to uh, address was gender stereotyping mm. and uh, this was such an interesting space mm. because very subtly that's what we were doing right and while we are all eating while they're all eating they'll talk about gender mm. you know and uh, so that became another book so we had an at, at the end of the a year term, we had yeah. a term we had a illustrated book recipe book by these children wow and and the, these books are available for people to no not to buy unfortunately we don't have enough funds to be able to print it <laughs> yeah. but we did print we got a grant from in uh, uh, IFA uh, India Foundation for the Arts uh which allowed us to print a limited edition of these books okay and it also helped the grant also helped some of these kids travel to the mysore library okay uh, where they presented everything that they did that's for this during that year that's an incredible story uh, especially uh, yeah both the cases the flood story as well as this one and how how old were the kids who supported for the flood uh they were teenagers i mean about 11 12 years old okay i think that, that we still do not see uh, you know that kind of a behavior in our no kids with better facilities we do not yeah. see the you know that kind of a modeling yeah and i think the myso kids uh, also have shown tremendous amount of empathy in mm. that way you mm. know and that's what happens when you have a space like this because you are able to when you listen to different stories you understand that every human being has the same emotions mm. they are all going through the same thing so there is a 
and that was one of the major things that we wanted to achieve mm-hmm. because many of the kids had no ways of understanding their own emotions or being able to empathize with somebody else and that is one of the reasons why violence grows in communities mm-hmm. when there is a lack of empathy and i think uh, my so kids kids have really responded beautifully absolutely absolutely i think uh uh it it's not it's not the amount they collected it's the very act of they doing it and yes. you know it, it yes. is true leadership actually yeah. what they did so yeah, yeah. quite a story i <laughs> uh, are, are you uh, into books yourself do you read books uh, are there any uh, books that has shaped your thinking and uh, your philosophy to life um i must confess that i read more children's books than any other <laughs> books right now and i find children's books quite fascinating you know some of the stuff that's coming out is really great um but yeah adults books yes there was a time when i was ro- very voraciously reading and there's some stuff a lot of it was religious very interestingly mm-hmm. uh, uh but um, herman hesse's book siddhartha was i think came at a very important point um why would you say that uh, what 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 did that book offer that you still feel i think that offer that book offered the message that you have to pave your own path mm. you know and uh, there there will be a lot of people who have had their own journeys and achieved something from it and in many ways we want we look up to them and feel that okay this is what i want to become mm. and this is what i very definiteness to it you know this guy i want to be or i want to join this guy so this whole cult business starts you know so multiple clones of the same kind of person <laughs> and the same kind of path uh the fact that um you might believe in certain things that these people are saying and this the, so uh the ideologies that they follow and all of that but uh, not to like completely buy into it like and become ignorant to any mm. everything else mm. you know to the importance of paving your own journey and to be invested in the journey rather than the destination mm. so that that book helped you yes i give do. that perspective okay any any other books that you remember I mean a lot of other readings that I have done around the work that I do uh, Neil Gaiman's uh, uh, work uh, I read some of the books uh, and work of uh, Jane Sahi who's a very well known educationist from India so uh, John Holt who talks about education so a lot of around education and the work that I do um yeah so yeah i i keep reading in bits and pieces here and there yeah <laughs> what what's something most people do not know about you oh uh i think i mean more so now um a lot of people think that i'm a very strong personality yeah i thought so <laughs> i'm not actually uh it's a uh, yeah and i i mean a lot of people think that i'm strong all the time it's not true you know and a lot of people it i don't think understand that i have my own times when i'm very low mm-hmm. and i'm regearing into coming back and uh uh yeah i think that's something that people don't they always think that i'm very strong <laughs> <laughs> uh in the recent years what is something that you have changed your mind about you know something you uh, believed very strongly and you held that belief and in the recent years it is completely changed a- anything 
well um actually something really happened during covid times okay um so we had never uh, encouraged technology in what we do hmm. in the work that we do so that was something that i held on to in fact the, i encouraged the team also to he- hold on to a lot ki we the reason we are why we are here is is because we want to build a human collect- connection with children hmm and there is a huge value to that human collection connection because for most children and i'm i now realize it's not only children from uh, under privileged or underserved communities but also most middle class and upper middle class children grow, go through a lot of neglect mm. and um, so what they miss is a human connection mm. and in that's why we always have based all our programs in making that connect and lot of our programs are designed in that way to make that connect hmm. and we, um, whether it is between the children or with the educator or with the community human connect- connections was valued the most hmm. and uh, technology somehow takes that away we felt you know mm. old school very old school <laughs> <laughs> but i we always felt that technology will anyways come into their lives i mean it is so omnipresent that we don't have to be the ones who introduce them to technology right. you know mm. it will come to them every child will hold a mobile anyways then what is our role as educators mm. who are what are we trying to bring to their life how are we adding value to their life so human connection has always been the biggest uh, part of that um so i mean in fact our children think that for a lifelong and that's the question they every week some child will ask me for 10 years are you going to be here will you grow old here <laughs> 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 so they want a presence that is you know forever right yeah right. they want that stability that is forever some kind of certainty right certainty sir. that they they'll always have this place they will always have this person you know so that is the value of the human connection mm. so um so but when covid happened suddenly that snapped mm. immediately right so now this this team that had we had completely rejected uh, like anything with, with technology we were scrambling because we needed to use technology mm. we did also mm. during the lockdown time we did use technology and it, it did have we had to cross a few lines in our head to be able to reach there as mm. well because at that time it was a very urgent need to be stay connected with our children hmm. so human connection say important connection ho gaya hmm, right. you know and uh, i mean of course we were always calling our children so we designed an entire library program which is around on technology based library program which could serve underserved communities hmm, hmm. and uh, which was not zoom calls because okay. we cannot have zoom calls right they do yeah. not have the infrastructure to they don't have the infrastructure for it they so don't how, have how did you do that So as soon as the lockdown happened in fact even before as soon as we could also smell a lockdown lockdown coming um we started to work with all our library educators collect all the data of how many children are there what are their parents number what kind of device mm. do they have what kind of ways do they way, way can we connect to the ch- children mm. in all three locations so this is close to 500 children and um, we made them into groups we call them sibling groups so we realized that every house has at least three children hmm. or we could have a neighbor who comes in who does not have a phone can come in so we made two kinds of groups one those who have access to some kind of smartphone facility 
and another which who did not have any access to smartphone so basically you know they had a collar keypad phone right so those who had access to smartphone facility uh, we uh, created whatsapp groups we started to send every day we would st- send a uh, different uh, uh, two two different books on the whatsapp and we had to make sure that anything that we send was not like um, sucking their internet and the right you have to be mindful about that very well, mindful right. of that right. so there was no uh, video that was allowed even if it was a video if there was a video of creating a puppet for example right which was something that we did we had to break that down into screenshot images right so, so that it's not media heavy on there it's not media yeah. heavy because that wouldn't work right we had to call every parent separately hmm. to tell them what we are going to do and how they can monitor their child's uh, you know time on the uh, device because mm. we don't want the child to get addicted to this device mm. and always have the parents fighting that will create another kind of <laughs> fight within the right, house right. so i think the biggest um, advantage that came from that phase was that our connection with parents really increased mm. like every parent now knows what's happening because what was happening in the closed doors of the library started to play out in their homes it became more visible right yes uh, the children are reading the children are writing their children we gave them you know activities to do at home uh, everything that and the only rule that we had is to keep it as resource minimal as possible something that they can find in their own homes mm-hmm. so uh, you know the children are always busy and that was something that the parents were very surprised mm-hmm. by you know because uh, otherwise they didn't know how, they not they, they knew that the children were going to the library something happens they come back with books but what exactly was happening there had to play out in their homes and many parents were also participating and you know sending voice notes and reading aloud to their children whenever they can right yeah so so the idea of not using technology to using technology has become Uh, yes that was a shift definitely and we tried to make it and keep it as humanly connected as possible uh, and uh, while you were mentioning about uh, the connection aspect and you said you know kids should not be neglected or you know what what does what happens if a child is neglected for a prolonged period what 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 is the consequence that we are worried about oh large consequences i mean it could be all kinds of a child who is neglected depends upon what kind of neglect and today the reason i ask this question this is not specifically to the communities that we are talking about we are talking about couples who both are working and they have a child and the child is you know subjected to some kind of a you know technology device to attend to their curriculum as well as skill time okay and so so what what is the what what happens if the child does not get the attention of both the parents in in these kind of scenarios for a prolonged period see there is a psychological effects to this okay one is that all of us should know and should now by now completely understand that these devices are addictive and uh, when you give especially for children from under underserved communities when you're giving them a device where parents don't know how to monitor what is being presented on the device there's very high possibility that child can go anywhere that they, they want to go right. and there's many no of these there's no control that there's yeah. no control right so they, we don't know how to put child controlled uh, content on those devices uh, child safe uh, uh, you know uh, content on those devices so that, that is a huge problem in terms of what is the kind of content they are exposed to especially if you're using a device to distract mm. you know uh, in the in the garb of them getting some certain skills um two is that 
it has definitely an effect on their physical mobility hmm. a child has to be mobile a lot of learning happens through movement you know integration of learning moves happens through movement so when you have a 5 year old why do we sing action songs to 5 year olds hmm. you know why don't we juma sing why what is the importance of an action song to a 5 year old because the movement allows the child to assimilate that learning understand the mo- understand that that movement is associated to a word so there is a more integrated learning that is happening which 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 uh, which is in- integrated also with the bodily experience right. that does not exist hmm. right a child nursery rhyme will watch right Comes it's very right? passive right yeah very yeah. passive right. there is no sense of bodily integration of what you are learning hmm. right and obviously we know understand high exposure to uh, uh, mobile devices uh, you know whether it is to the eyes or to the brain what it does right those effects as well but larger effect of negligence in terms of parents yeah. is the issue of not being able to build a bond with the child hmm. where the child feels that the parent or an adult in many cases the child a uh, first person that your child looks up to is the parent mm. right so they are they are going to looking they will mimic a lot of things that you are doing right so if the child feels that the child is not being attended to okay a child might go through a lot of emotions during mm. the day right mm. he might have feel bad about something angry about something you know loss about something happy about something if the child has no space to talk about that to feel like that person that child is having a conversation about that there is no space for the child to with the help of a informed adult to process this emotion that also stunts emotional growth mm. because yeah. none of the content that you are right now skill based content of whatever is coming on this thing looks at emotional growth for mm. children it's largely in terms of knowledge you mm. know forest mein ye hota hai ye hota hai or some story or whatever but how do you in the practicality of dealing with everyday emotional issues that he or she is going through right i feel very bad that my uh, friend is leaving uh, the city mm. i'll never see that friend again mm. if i don't have that space to talk to an adult about it i don't know how to how to negotiate by myself as a child and once that child is emotionally suppressed in that way will not be able to express it as a as a adult also mm. so you will have a very emotionally stunted adult and uh, many a times when they grow up they still will be confused why they feel the way they feel yeah because so one is that they'll have no space to or ways to articulate what they right. feel so many times we feel that if we are able to in some way you do justice to articulate how we are feeling half of our right anxiety comes down half of our pain comes down why hmm. when you have a good listening ear and we are able to in some way and that person is helping us through being able to articulate what we are feeling we feel liberated by just that conversation sometimes you know uh, what advice would you give to parents to really support this kind of an interaction uh, generally uh, what i get to see is or you know we've been guilty of that sometimes it's all about attending to some task do this do that don't do this don't do that uh, how can we be a more receptive 
receptive as a parent uh, to to make this you know a, a more encouraging situation for the child to communicate i think one is to lead by example hmm. don't do anything that you that you have restricted the child but you yourself are doing don't watch tv but you will yourself watch 5 <laughs> hours of tv you know that creates a lot of confusion and resentment in the child you know because you are not following the same rules that you're setting up with the child and create a space for dialogue with the child mm. don't look at the child as a as somebody who you have to you know boss over mm. uh the more space that you give the child for dialogue the more responsible the child will also become mm. so any kind of rules that you're setting not all rules of course there are certain rules that you have to put uh, this thing on but for example rules on uh, house help how much help are you going to do around the house what is your responsibility in the house watering the plants mm. or let they allow the child to make the list of things that she might be open to doing mm. you know and then how she wants to do it you know weekly or daily or what so give that space for the child to also participate in decision making these are skills that are very very important for the child what we are seeing mostly is that parents are taking all decisions for pa- uh, children and there arrives a time when they have to take a decision and they have they don't know how to do it because they are not trained to it absolutely absolutely yeah and and then you you get mocked at because you are an adult who can't take decision right they expect them to have the decision you know uh, muscles working by then right yes <laughs> yes when you are not trained to as a child right. so allow that space where the child is able to make the decision the child might fail might fall it's okay mm. but the child understands that is able to calibrate his or her own decisions to greater success if you mm. give them the opportunity that's so true absolutely you you come across already as somebody who who walks her talk or who is very authentic in her personality uh, but is there something that you cannot fake i think most of the things i can't fake <laughs> <laughs> i also use humor to not <laughs> if i have to get through a difficult situation um i don't know is there something that i cannot fake at all yeah most things yeah that i believe in i am not able to fake you, it yeah you just but sometimes it does happen like uh, i i must confess to it also when i'm going back for example to kerala mm. you know and to very traditional uh, uh, pe- people need to know you're from kerala otherwise yes, they yes. They... <laughs> i'm from kerala but i've never lived in kerala right um i have it has been summer vacation home for me uh, and now to visits uh, have become very infrequent but uh, i still have to visit sometimes and uh, of course i i go there and uh, i i i see and uh, experience things that i not completely agree with and sometimes you have to nod your way through it you know because you are there for just a visit and you don't want to sometimes disrupt so many things in somebody else's home and you know create a uh this thing you sometimes just seed something very subtly and right. i am learning the subtle art of seeding <laughs> slowly but uh but yeah sometimes you have to let go yeah there's no no point trying to prove a point yeah yeah or... it, i mean you're there for a day or two and then you don't want to shake up something in a house and create a ruckus and come back you know uh in in your journey thus far um uh, who are the three people uh, who has most influenced you uh, or or the people that you follow very closely uh, as as a a role model 
<laughs> it could be it could be even uh, it need not be people it could be also uh, uh, some philosophy or it could be school of thought it could be i don't know i don't have these i don't i i one of the things manoj have frankly figured out is that i don't put anybody on a pedestal anymore okay and it's, it's it's come from experience and it is not right also i feel sometimes we put people on such high pedestals and they all unfortunately have come crashing down then you go through such such trauma yourself right you know because they've fallen in ways that you never expected them to fall but the fact is that they are also human mm. they also have faults we can't make them god like so in i i would say that i have had a lot of mentors in my life mm. and in some way a uh, mentorship is a is is maybe a better way to use uh, use that word but not as any formal mentors not like i've hired a mentor right 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 i have learned from a, from them from being around them you know and seeing how they address situation deal with challenges how they have personally made space for themselves to grow how they have allowed space for others to grow and how in their own ways by like you say walking the talk uh been the person and created that kind of ecosystem that inspires others hmm. and uh, yeah there have been a few like that definitely uh, would you like to name them nalini who i work with now hmm. i think is uh, is somebody i i really um i learn a lot from of course we fight like crazy we disagree <laughs> a lot uh but i learn and i love that space of di- disagreement you know with somebody who who also you look up to because you have that space to argue to make a point we might not disagree at the end but that space to hear each other out um yeah that's some that's somebody i really uh, look up to um like i said i have uh, informally been mentored by jane sahi who is a mm. educationist and who's a gandhian and for me just being with jane is therapeutic like if i sit with jane like half my anxieties come down <laughs> she has such a i don't know what a presence she has you know she's and she is somebody who's run a small school sita school for over 20 years for children of a community just outside bangalore and she comes with such beautiful energy you know and she is somebody i know that i would go to her with major distress you know <laughs> i'll say jane this is happening to me that's happening you know that is happening i would say all of this and then jane would like listen to me for half an hour without saying a word with the most empathetic smile and then just say one word or one sentence and everything that i said there's like <laughs> clarity <in it. laughs> it vanishes away <laughs> you know it might be the most simplest thing but the fact that she listens and listens so beautifully you know and she's helping you in some way very subtle ways mm, to mm. to you know uh weed out all the uh, all the this mess and yeah the clouds that are appearing in front of you so she is a great inspiration i don't meet her very often mm. but whenever i do i think even to listen to her voice on the phone sometimes when we speak i think it's it's a, it's somebody who gives me a lot of nourishment uh my partner is uh, has been a huge support system mm. uh so aman is a writer and uh he 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 has been somebody who's also given me uh, my wings you know allowed me to give me the space not allowed me but told me that you have the you have the wings and you can fly mm-hmm. you know that kind of an ecosystem to create uh, uh, as a partner to be there uh, always uh, 
is important and i think without that it would have been a big struggle you know mm. because you don't you have a lot of fights to fight outside the home right. you don't want to have the same fights to having to fight in the, inside the house also right. so creating that uh, that space to talk to um, you know just having the space to uh, to like to be interested in the work that i do and engage with me mm. at that level i think it has been a great support as well uh, what what are some of your biggest uh, uh, lessons that you had you discovered that you had to unlearn there were things that you know you 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 had to unlearn to really move on in life yeah a lot see, see um when i started to do the work that i'm doing i'm again not taught in mm. the, in the work that i'm doing again right. i'm again in this place where i i i'm learning from the ground right. i'm learning from what my experiences and what my experiences teach me um so uh unfortunately i am the methods that we use in terms of being an alternate space of learning is not in the methods in which we have been taught in could you uh, explain give us an example we of- are very traditionally taught right like there is a very clear hierarchy of where the teacher is when where the student is and how the student is supposed to behave what the teacher will say what the students has to, those roles have been very very well defined mm. but in an alternate space you are not a teacher you are a facilitator mm. of a certain experience okay so that hierarchy is completely gone you are creating a certain mood a certain path through which the child can travel in that one hour of a session and gain experience and collect these experiences and make sense of their own experience so it in so there is no power equation there hmm. i am not the person who is holding a certain of course i am designing a certain experience i'm trying to design it i mean some child might it might happen it may not happen but it is an experience you are trying to design with the children right so that those roles but because you've been taught in a certain way in the beginning at least and sometimes it happens now also mm. they they do come and interfere mm. in the work that i do that suddenly i feel oh i'm the teacher i have to have control <laughs> over this classroom you know this child is doing that that child is doing that oh come back but to find that after there is to just sit like in the beginning that if there is chaos let's sit through this chaos and see what happens through this chaos to allow the chaos to happen and to see how even children sometimes can bring and resolve the chaos and there's some something that happens within the chaos where where you know things change unless somebody is getting beaten up to death or something right. like so that right you know? some danger yeah. yeah yeah unless there is a danger yeah so there is just to allow that spaces was uh, initially very very uh, difficult yeah so uh, yeah i think that that's a very uh, very important point i think we are so driven by the sense of control and we think chaos is unnecessary it should not happen i think there is order in chaos also right i think if you let- order order is formed yes. sometimes if you allow chaos to persist right. the thing is that we go into panic mode as soon as we encounter chaos right we have right. not allowed the chaos to sustain itself and see what happens and chaos reveals a lot of things mm-hmm. or, or for example to s- typically look at what is productive mm. like for example in the beginning if i child scribbled i'm like oh why is this child scribbling he's supposed to do a make a drawing or something more concrete or you know something like that but you don't 
realize that scribbling is such an important part of the child's expression mm. you know and you don't understand it so what happened with me is that i did have some understanding of it because of after after my work but then i did a course uh, which was on uh, um, on library education and that's where i met jane sahi also mm. and she was one of my mentors there uh, tejasvi uh, shivanand is also a mentor uh so they they started to i started to read actual literature around and papers around how children learn why children do certain things uh why certain uh, certain kinds of books or certain kinds of stories affect children more and it was so important to go through that because i felt it was such a validation of my voice because some of these things was coming more instinctively mm. this is right and this is not right but i could never like i had no theory to validate it right. and i was now exposed to actual theory because people have gone through this and have written about it and they've said that this is the this is more this is a more valuable thing to do so it was great to find that validity i think yeah i think um, especially parents who are listening to this uh, i think still they deal with this this conflict in their mind if they do not bring in order early if they don't bring discipline early the child's future is gone they yeah. really think uh, it's it's very very necessary to have everything in a set format the handwriting has to be neat uh, the scribble has to be not as scribbly everything has to be within the you know defined rules yeah uh, like so, these coloring books you know worst yeah. thing to happen to the child <laughs> Why do you say that? <laughs> Because they put such boundaries in which you have to color, right. and then then they are already trying to box the children in a certain way. The child, if there is, if you look at especially these copy coloring books, my God, they are horrible. <laughs> you know, there will be a princess who will only be in pink. <laughs> these are very very subtle but very sure way of you know tuning a child's head into a certain way of thinking. Hmm. Uh, so. it it's okay to let the child explore even though the child has been uh, you know uh, taught in a certain way till this this time you're saying it's okay for parents to experiment a little bit by letting them be that's not an experimentation that's how it should be <laughs> <laughs> the child should be having the space to explore mm. if you kill the space to explore for the child and the you only give them guidelines to follow you're ch- killing the child's possibility of any sort of creativity and growth hmm. great point <laughs> uh what are you curious about these days what keeps you curious in general are you curious about something lately uh intermittent fasting ah <laughs> 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 okay that's a very uh, interesting topic and what topic. fasting can do because i think uh, i mean this is buzzword right now uh but i i mean i don't know if you ask this work wise or otherwise no it is generally in your life i think that's a very good point you brought up so i like to hear yeah i mean so i've been trying uh, very unsuccessfully to do <laughs> intermittent fasting because i'm seeing so many of these influencer <laughs> videos on uh, youtube who have lost tons of weight doing uh, fasting but uh, i i i think fasting would be something interesting that i want to explore because um 
allowing yourself to be foodless and not be controlled by food for a certain period of time is a some i mean it's difficult but uh, <laughs> something i would like to explore actually i think you 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 chosen the right strategy it's it's uh, you know i have worked with a lot of clients for weight loss uh, yeah. so i could say um, many take the approach of exercise alone yeah okay which and they they don't mind spending hours together working in the gym or doing the cardios and completely not looking at the food yeah. okay and if you are actually focused on uh, fasting and the control on food i think that's a get really good start yeah. uh, in that direction actually oh, yeah control um, more than control on food control by food i mean to be mindful whether con- food is controlling yeah. you or you are controlling the food i don't like the word control because it's very like uh, i think the choice of food that yeah, you you yeah. you consume yeah and the i i like intermittent fasting because it's not putting you into a certain diet structure but in terms of certain time you mm. know that mm. you can eat or not in a certain window that you can so eat w- how are you exploring that i don't know man i uh, i start eating at 10:30 and finish eating by like 4:35 okay and then uh, and that's works okay for me because i'm anyways used to skipping dinner and that's something that i'm comfortable from early on as well hmm. so it's not something that disrupts me my lifestyle a lot uh but yeah i mean i i have to be a little more mindful of what i put in my mouth even during the window time you know right. i mean to put a little more healthier things than to go and processed foods and other things and generally go on the biryani binge and all that <laughs> <laughs> I uh, uh, we have a global audience so there are people who do not understand what is a biryani you want to explain that oh no i'm very bad at cooking <laughs> it's flavored rice and uh, very fragrant uh, rice aroma filled ar- uh, uh, yeah uh. aromatic rice with uh, meat basically cooked with meat uh, i want to ask this question i'm just was curious you know people who work with ngos people who work with uh, spaces like yours uh, do they make money number one and how do they make money uh okay current context it is going to get even more tougher to make money in the ngo sector uh because uh, uh first of all of course i must confess that even when i made the change of going from the corporate to coming to an ngo sector mm. or whatever is uh, whatever is the work that i was doing even as an independent consultant in the ngos um i knew that i was not going to make much money you know and uh, it was not only about not making money it was a lifestyle choice mm. it was about changing the way you live to live more with little you know or to be more appreciative of the little that you have um so it was not only about ki ha paise kam milenge it was about completely a way of changing the way you look at and experience life mm. and what you value in life um So of course it comes with high amounts of risk you are not going to make enough money you also probably have no pension which is of course same same for corporate jobs as well but you won't be even saving much for corporate jobs but the fact is that i realized that at many times i was saving way more than what the corporate you know colleagues of mine were saving because they were making a lot of money but they were spending a lot of money as well mm. they were they were neck deep in that all kinds of loans you mm. know car and the house and the you know all of that um in the long holidays and you know, i don't know different kinds of so expenditure was also mm. a lot more uh i had shrunk my life 
uh i mean i i was not having these kind of expenditures so much so it was a different way of living mm. so now of course it is going to become more challenging given that it is covid times and um, people many people thousands lakhs of people have lost their jobs mm. so internally also in terms of raising money and uh, pm funds has become now open to csr so a lot of csr money is going to go into pm funds uh which again restricts the amount of money that will come into the ngo sector we have recently had a bill where uh fcra which is the foreign funds that comes from outside uh will be restricted in certain ways so it's not the best times to be in the ngo sector mm. so uh if you're moving to an ngo sector uh you have to uh, one is to have the space to look at life very differently you know are you uh ready to minimize your life as a person so it requires a large philosophical shift it's not about changing a job from this to another hmm uh the reason i ask is uh, even though uh, you know people think uh, uh people who are working in the ngo space if they are well funded some of them uh, you know make uh, money because there are companies funding that and you know some of the people who are uh, at the top could be taking advantage of those kind of funds coming in so yeah. is there a mismanagement of funds sometimes happening or uh, well uh, i can't i can't comment very generically uh, yeah but there are there is a mismanagement of funds sometimes happens it becomes very top heavy uh, yeah. some, uh, so uh, we have to choose organizations which are fair mm. uh, and uh, if you want to uh, which gives a certain kind of um, uh there's a wage fairness on uh, uh, about who is the person who's entering to the but that exists in every, every sector every place okay yeah uh, that i it's mean not some, some ceo this. look look at the difference of salaries between a ceo who makes a couple of lakhs per, per month to a, a person who's just joined who probably makes that same amount in a year yes yes right yeah so it exists in both all sectors uh but yeah you have to look, so i'm not saying that there is absolutely no money in ngo sector there is money but it will be way considerably less than what we are used to in the corporate sectors uh, people who have a lot of resources at the moment and they want to support uh, uh, any causes what is a good way to evaluate what what is the right cause uh, you know we really do not know the world of which ngo is really doing uh, the best work so is there any go to place that we can really evaluate and understand uh, how to really support is there any any approach that you would recommend first of all ask the question why you want to give yeah okay. let, and uh, and uh, if it is a generic i just want to give somebody or i have benefited from some of these things that that has been a gift to me i feel and i would want to give this forward for example if somebody is there who has benefited from libraries from a free library mm. they have benefited and a library has changed their world and how they are might want to contribute to a library a person who has uh, you know benefited from free schooling might want to help another free school you know so it could be personal school. to what it could be coming from a personal space and i think that personal space will also give you a direction in which who you want to contribute to but always i would say do some amount of research hmm. before you blindly go and give it to anybody uh do some research that allows you to understand who are the key players in that area in that and possibly i would say uh, uh invest in small schools or uh, small projects but with you know big heart 
Hmm. You know, there are many such projects which are very remote, especially in remote areas. Now, with this FCRA, which is coming up, the bill that is coming up, this is going to cut the lifeline of most NGOs which are working in remote areas or small NGOs, basically, hmm. because uh, what used to happen earlier is that a chunk of money would come to a grant-making NGO, and they would then, you know, make smaller chunks of it and give it to smaller NGOs to do the work. That has been banned. so there is subgranting is not allowed now hmm. and which is a huge hit to the sector hmm. that means the small ngos are all going to die and uh, so it is for the small ngos which need more support who are doing good genuine work hmm. running a school as we are working working with uh, supporting uh, children or running free libraries or things that allow spaces for children if i'm saying which allows spaces for children to think more critically do more things that is not offered in either a traditional school or in their own homes hmm. well lakshmi i think it's been uh, <laughs> it's been a blast discussing with you uh, we went into a lot of areas but i don't think one conversation will actually cover all the aspects that you've been uh, involved in uh, where can people find more about you about me i uh, very fancily have a, <laughs> <laughs> a website uh, lakshmikarunakaran.com uh, and uh, uh, i don't update, update it very often but whenever <laughs> i find time which is once in two years or something i update the articles that i have written what i have been up to little bit some of the work that i have done so little bit there uh, you can google me you'll see a few articles that we have written as well and uh, yeah i have a facebook presence i'm not very facebooking this these days but twitter also but uh, yeah i'm not very i'm sort of detoxifying from uh, social media right now i don't know if that's true in a few days but right now that's how we are yeah so if uh, people need to interact with you uh, which platform would you prefer most likely lakshmi karunakaran at gmail.com they can write to me oh okay <laughs> <laughs> all right i think uh, this has been an absolute pleasure uh, to have you on the show and uh, i'm sure that a lot of people who listen to this uh, will get a completely new perspective about especially about waste pickers and their life and uh, you know um, the next time they get called out you know for some something which needs to be disposed i think they will be a little more mindful about the journey that waste goes through actually yeah. it's just not uh, some person coming out there and collecting so thank you very much for uh, you know in throwing some light in that space and we really really appreciate the work that you do and i i really love what you do and uh, what you stand for so thank, thank you for you, that thank you manoj for asking all of these questions this was such an interesting conversation we've never done this before we no? have never done this before yeah. <laughs> <laughs> next i will interview you and i will grill you <laughs> <laughs> thank you so thank much thank you so much and thank you everybody to everybody who listened in into the show I hope you enjoyed the show. All the key points discussed will be available in the show notes section at www.rareearth.com. That is R A R E E R T H.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you really enjoyed, please do give me your feedback, review and rate on iTunes or any listening app of your choice. Do subscribe and share. Thank you.